Okay, hello, <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier delivering mail and space one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. It's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box. Another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Sword of Summer. How are you today, Jane? Uh, my, my body's a little bit broken. My soul a little bit crushed. Uh, my my I, I'm living at home again at the minute, and that means that uh, because my mother has bought a bunch of flat pack furniture, that's been my job for the past like couple of days. Oh, no. I feel like you've been doing nothing, but I feel like this has been happening for weeks now. You've been building, building, building. <laughs> it's been it's been like bits and pieces coming in. It was it was a shed, and then beds, and then more stuff. And uh, <laughs> this 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 is a heroic deed. And I think if I if I die during it, uh, I I will be privy to a Viking afterlife. You're a hero for sure. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm feeling good. Uh, I since last time we recorded, we showed off our. Direct, our direct trailer, our, our trailer at the Moonshot Direct. Uh, we thought that was going up a lot earlier than it did. We did, we did. I think it's still, it's still, you know, I think it still was effective. Uh, it, it's just funny to see the coming September fifteenth, and then oh, it's the it's the twentieth as this airs. <laughs> uh, and I, I think we did a fucking banger job on that. Thank you, Jane. Oh, thank you, Jacqueline. And thank you to uh, Kiara, Jay. Audrey, Juliet, I think those are the other people who worked on it, who did the voices. Uh, and also Viria for the art, which I forgot to credit in the thing. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, God. You know what? You're going to hell. <laughs> only one L. Uh, I've only taken one L in my entire life, and this was it. <laughs> Speaking of L's, uh, should I get right into the summary? Uh, I think we have some news items to cover up up at the top. Oh yeah, some new yeah. Oh, there was a very exciting news item. You're right. Let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the new book coming out this week. Apparently, that's not up on us. Yeah, that is really Chalice of the Gods is coming out like <laughs> this week or next week. That's fucking insane. That's I... in my brain. That's still filed under an untitled upcoming Percy Jackson book. You know. Didn't Sun and the Star come out yesterday? <laughs> weren't weren't you crawling around like the fucking British bookstores and just stumbling upon it like a, a couple hours ago? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true. And yet, you know, he really cranks them out. 
You're correct. Well, it wasn't. Uh, I think Son of the Star was like co-authored, right? That's true. That's true. So that he cranked out half of it. So presumably he like farmed out an outline to someone. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense too. <laughs> what? A, okay. Rick Riordan ghostwriter theory. Rick Riordan <laughs> is like he's a public figure. He's the public facing guy. He doesn't actually write any of his books. Mm-hmm. Can we get sued for saying that? <laughs> I think we can say, in, if we say in our opinion, we're good. <laughs> in our opinion, Rick Riordan has not written a single word of his own work. <laughs> uh, it's, it's ironic you bring that up, given that we, I think we're going to get into a lot of this week, just like how how strongly his voice is coming through in this book. Yeah, yeah, well... Is that is that all there is for news this week? But wait, no, Jane, we have to discuss the other really big thing, right? Uh, you say other big thing, but the only other thing I have in the docket is this piece of paper, uh, which I will rustle into the microphone. Uh, and this piece of paper just says that due to the ongoing SAG after strikes, uh, we will not be covering anything that is considered struck work on the podcast, which basically includes anything that was uh, produced under the last contract they had. Uh, and that's all that this piece of paper says. I don't know why that's in there, but uh, huh, well. kind of weird. Well, let's get on to the show then. <laughs> all right, chapter seven. You look great without a nose, really. The battle between Magnus Chase, the teenage mortal, and Sirt, the mythical fire giant, begins. Intending to start with a flash, Magnus walks right through Sirt's flame wall because he's apparently super immune to extreme temperatures. He gets a measly little hit in on Sirt with the rusty sword, Summerbrander, but it doesn't do much, and Sirt returns the blow about a hundredfold by punching Magnus straight across the bridge. As he's lying down bemoaning his fate, he sees for just a moment a woman riding on a flying horse made of mist above him. Pain hallucination? Maybe. But what isn't a hallucination is the sword. When Magnus puts enough of his will into it, it's restored, becoming a beautiful blade inscribed with viking runes. Stage two of the fight begins, this time with sword and scimitar. Magnus can't actually sword fight, but the sword itself guides his movements, and he even cuts off Sirt's nose. Unfortunately, Sirt wants Summerbrander badly enough that he's willing to kill. He scoops up the asphalt from beneath his very feet, forms it into a molten hot ball, and throws it right into Magnus's gut. It burns through, destroying his internal organs completely. But in his final moments, Magnus runs Sirt through, and they both fall into the Charles River as Magnus Chase dies. Chapter 8. Mind the Gap, and also the hairy guy with the axe. Well, Magnus is dead. But this book ain't over yet. After death, Magnus dreams for what's apparently the first time in his... I wrote life here, but I guess not really life. He sees a memory of him and his mom hiking to Hufton's Pond, where she tells Magnus that this is where she and his father first met, and that he's currently all around them. His dream then shifts into Uncle Randolph's library, where a handsome, heavily scarred, bearded man sits studying some old maps. Magnus asks if he's his dad, but the guy just laughs and says no, but Magnus will meet his actual son soon. Then he warns Magnus not to trust appearances or his comrade's motives, and to tell the Allfather hello for him. The dream shifts for the final time. The girl who was flying above him on the bridge is now flying him through the air, carrying him by the wrist and demanding he stop struggling, and not to make her regret choosing him. When he wakes up after that, his clothes are completely clean and his body is restored, not a single injury or anything. He wanders for a bit around what he assumes is a rich Boston neighborhood filled with opulent townhouses, eventually finding a sign indicating that it's called the Grove of Glacier. 
But when he walks into the main building, the doorman, a guy called Hunding, who looks more like a brute than a butler, tells him he must be checking in for his after-death stay. Chapter 9. You totally want the minibar key. Hunding escorts Magnus through the building. It has a sort of hunting lodge aesthetic, and it's full of teenagers just chilling out and goofing off. When they arrive at the reception desk, Magnus meets the manager, a man named Helgi from East Gothland, 749 CE, who checks him in for his permanent suite at the Hotel Valhalla. He'll be here for the rest of his life, or at least until Ragnarok. Chapter 10. My room does not suck. Once again, Hunding guides Magnus through the hotel, this time up to a suite. On the way, they pass all the chill teens. Hunding explains they're the Inheryar, Odin's chosen soldiers in his eternal army. All the servers appear to be warrior women. During his explanation, a spear suddenly flies through the room. While Magnus is able to duck, it ends up impaling one of the teenagers behind him. Hunding says, as the bloody corpse is dragged away by wolves and Magnus looks on in utterly traumatized horror, that the kids should be revived by dinner. It's just, you know, boys being boys. The rest of their walk is occupied by more explanation at the hotel. It has 540 floors, each with their own door out into the Nine Worlds. Magnus is from the world of Midgard, where mortals such as himself reside. Eventually, they reach Magnus's door, and when he steps inside, he's completely blown away. It's not just a nice suite, it's the nicest place Magnus has ever seen. It's got multiple wings, including an open-air central atrium, a swanky bathroom complete with hot tub and sauna, a simple bedroom suited to Magnus's no-frills tastes, and a lounge area decked out with all the video games and books he could want. The most striking thing of all, though, is the photo of him and his mom above the fireplace. He thought it was destroyed when his house burned down. But Magnus isn't the only one getting choked up. Hunting is holding back tears himself. He never got to have any keepsakes of his old life since photographs didn't exist back then. Magnus feels bad and tips him with a chocolate bar he'd had in his pocket when he died, which cheers the old doorman right up. Hunting sets to leave and tells Magnus his personal Valkyrie should be here soon. Chapter 11. Pleased to meet you. I will now crush your windpipe. What do you do when you're a kid who's had to be on high alert for every day of your life for multiple years, finally given a few minutes to just sit down in a safe place and think? Well, Magnus's answer is, have a panic attack about being dead and not even getting to have his mom back for the trouble. In a fit of anger, he destroys some of the room's furniture, but pretty much immediately regrets it since some employee is probably going to have to clean it up. He wonders about what even happened to Surt, the sword, and how Hearth and Blitzen end up making out, but then has the realization that if he died a heroic death and so came to Valhalla, his mom must have done the same. Maybe she is here after all. Before he can get his hopes too high up, there is a knock at the door, and his Valkyrie arrives. She's the girl who carried him through the sky after his death. Having taken off the armor she was previously wearing, she's now just wearing a green headscarf around her neck and a white dress embroidered with runes. She lets him down as soon as he asks. Natalie Chase is not one of the chosen. The Valkyries can't bring every single brave person who dies to Valhalla. Magnus whimpers a bit about this, so the Valkyrie roughs him up, telling him he's got to appear to be an impressive hero at dinner so her career isn't put in jeopardy, and that he's not the only one who's had to grieve for a mother. Once he pulls himself together, she reintroduces herself. Her name is Samir Alabas, and she's here to take him to dinner. Chapter 12. At least I'm not on goat chasing duty. On the way to dinner, Magnus gets a glimpse at some of his hallmates. Thomas Jefferson Jr., or TJ, who appears to be from the Civil War, Mallory Keene, an Irish firebrand, X, a big dude who's apparently half-troll, 
Uh, however, they don't meet half-born Gunderson. An axe splits through the wood of his door as they go by, so Magnus opts to not introduce himself. Samira explains how Valhalla is split into three groups, and Magnus is part of the youngest tier, which goes up to about age 19. The other two tiers, adult and senior, are mostly cornered off, as they don't tend to get along with the kiddies. She also lets slip just before they enter the dining room that she herself is still alive. They finally enter the Hall of the Slain, which is a stadium-sized area with rows and rows of long tables all around the huge central tree of Larader, where magical animals skitter around the basin branches. Magnus is taken by how weird and mythical everything is, but he's more taken by the feeling that maybe he's met Samira before. She's strangely familiar. She just shrugs it off, though. The only information she'll give about herself is that she's from Dorchester and Boston, and uh, she's a sophomore at King Academy. She lives with her grandparents and does Valkyrie stuff by day, homework by night. What's more important than her, she says, is finding a good seat before everyone else arrives. But just as she says that, all the doors around them slam open and the hordes of Valhalla pour in. So, Jane, what'd you think of the chapters this week? Uh, we are so fucking back. <laughs> We're fucking back. This is awesome. This is, this is I think, the most I have enjoyed reading a set of chapters in a Rick Ryden book since maybe, maybe PJO. I don't know if I disagree. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, various things I've enjoyed, but this is just, like, every single chapter is so fun. It's all just, like, good to read. There's no groaning. I mean, there, there's no major groaning. There's mm-hmm. a bit of groaning, actually, but that's, you know, sort of the Rick Ryden trick. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just... Uh, but- you know, it's good to experiment as a writer to, like, you know, challenge yourself and get outside your comfort zone sometimes, but just, like, Rick Ryden, first-person perspective directly addressing the reader, fucking unbeatable. Yeah, and I want to talk about that perspective kind of immediately, I think. Yeah. Because this is the, like, set of chapters where I think it really sunk in, like, how Magnus's narrative voice is distinct from, say, Percy or Leo or Trace Navarre. Yeah. Where... To me, the big difference is that he he has a more, like, back and forth with this, like, imaginary audience he's speaking to. It's much more conversational, yeah. He's saying things like, oh, I bet you, like, I bet you're wondering about this. Well, this is my opinion on this. Oh, you're thinking this now. Like, he, this is how he processes things, it seems like. You know what I mean? It is very, it very much has the feeling of, like, someone sitting around a campfire telling you a story, which I guess is very appropriate to a Viking thing. No, definitely, yeah. This is how you pass down your sagas, etc. Oh, for sure. So I, I really, I, I'm really enjoying Magnus as a, as a main character. Yeah, I, I know you were just saying that his voice is like distinct from Trey's Navarre, but I really do believe that he is the most Trey's coded protagonist we've gotten so far. Honestly, what, he, are, what are some of the elements? What are some of the elements? He just, he has the like the, the same kind of funny guy kind of. He's, he's, he's cracking wise, etc. the way, same way that, like, Leo and Percy did. But I feel like, I don't know, Magnus is more of a, like, abrasive asshole in the way that Trace was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He doesn't seem to really give a shit about being liked. He just kind of feels like he has more rough life experience than Leo or Percy do. Absolutely. Which is kind of, that is a trait of both of them, right? Uh, Percy, you know, he's he's been passed around to different schools every year, uh, sometimes even between, you know, months. Yeah. Uh, Leo has been going around foster homes. He's had, you know, abusive families and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Magnus has been homeless for two years. Like, he's, he, that's kind of, it's a, it's a different tier of thing. He has a world weariness that those two didn't. Yeah. He has a world weariness comparable to someone who's been a PI for a few years. 
no, you're you're basically right. Yeah, <laughs> he's done the lice thing before, presumably. The lice thing. The horrifying flea. The the bit where it's like, all right, Ch- Trace, go touch. Oh the, God, the yeah. Corpse. Uh huh. <laughs> Although speaking of temperatures, should we just talk about this fight with uh with Cert? This is fucking brutal. Yeah, it is. Like Magnus just eats shit. <laughs> he he does better than I would have expected. I know, it's it's his first day. You were right to, uh, I think you made this guess that this is where he would die. Yeah, he just dies immediately and the sword gets lost. We we learned that he's apparently resistant to all temperatures. This is fucking, he is just like an unused character concept for Leo, I think. <laughs> a a dust, little bit, Dusted yeah. off, given a Norse coat of paint and put into this series. Well, he's, all, he's also resistant to cold, though, which I don't think Leo is. Oh, uh, that's true. Do you think Magnus maybe just maybe his nerves just don't work quite right? I think there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah, I I like this fight quite a bit just because of how like it's gruesome, right? His organs get incinerated. Yeah, I was so surprised. This is like the most gruesome a fight has been. Like it's so like the fact that it talks about the molten asphalt like burning through his organs come on and the fact it meant it mentions that like oh no it wasn't the being set on fire that killed me it was my head cracking off the ice when i hit the river right right <laughs> so he was still alive through all of that yeah yeah no i really like that section let me just pull it up i want to because i i really like reading magnus's lines i don't know it's just so fun <laughs> Beginning of chapter eight. Maybe you're thinking, oh, Magnus, you didn't really die. Otherwise, you would you couldn't be narrating the story. You just came close. Then you were mirac- miraculously rescued, blah, blah, blah. Nope, I actually died. 100%. Guts impaled, vital organs burned, head smacked into a frozen river from 40 feet up. Every bone in my body is broken. Lungs filled with ice water. The medical term for that is dead. <laughs> Gee, Magnus, what did it feel like? It hurt a lot. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I also, I, I do love that you can, like... You can feel Rick Riordan, like, absolutely, like, hammering home, no, this sucks, this is horrible. Just <laughs> on, just because he doesn't want to end up in court with some parent who's, like, kid tried to kill himself to go to Valhalla. Oh, God, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how the book starts, right? Literally, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do this at home, kids, don't die. Suicide is not badass. No, it's not even all... Like, Magnus doesn't even take all the punishment, though. He does cut Sert's fucking nose off. Yeah, he fucks that guy up. He goes for it. Although he is, he's using aimbot with the sword. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, the sword does more of the work than he does. He's such a fucking nerd-ass nerd. Like, we got the Doctor Who references earlier. There's another one later. But then here we get a Princess Bride reference. I This, this to me, feels like... Rick forgetting that he's meant to be like writing a young person who is like in around 2015 and not like you know the the age he the age he was in like 1980 or whatever the fuck how old do you think the princess bride is i don't know like 70s what no i, <laughs> I don't know when that movie came out it's from it has a no it's not I've... from the 70s it's from 1987 oh i see my point is that it's a pop culture okay. reference point for for pe- people of his generation. I know people younger than him have watched it because I've watched it, but like, I Princess Bride to me is like the epitome of exactly this type of kid. Like who it appears Magnus like would be in his like, I guess who he is. Right, he goes to the library to watch Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Like 
this is like my friends in middle school, like some of my like geek ass nerd friends, they, you know, they would go to paintball and talk about how they were like, oh, I'm going to do the princess bride shit. Right. <laughs> like they're like, Oh, let's all, let's all go home and drink our juice pouches and watch the princess bride. <laughs> it just paints such a picture of like, this guy belongs on Tumblr. <laughs> God, truly. Do you think this is why Magnus is like, he's like addressing this directly to the reader in this way? This is like, these chapters are all Tumblr posts. This is from his blog. I think that's amazing. And this should have all been posted, like serialized online as a Tumblr blog. Or Tumblog, excuse me. He doesn't go out without a fight, though. He does take Cert out with him. He, he does. Like, I have to imagine that being dunked in a freezing river will kill a fire giant. If it If that doesn't, then I'm not sure what does. I hope so. I mean, I'm sure he'll come back probably. Probably. But uh it, he like I for a first fight, Magnus is pretty good. Like that's not even like I feel like that wasn't even the sword. That was like his pure will. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that was him saying like the uh, I'm I'm dead now. Might as well like let, make this guy die too so that I can save the people around me. Yeah, he d- he does a heroic thing. He he does the big heroic move, and he, that's that's why the next thing happens, I guess. His death is heroic, which is unfortunate for him. <laughs> he okay. What is? I guess we'll probably learn as the story goes on. But what is his class spec? This is a, we have to keep this in mind. Uh, I can't do this. No, I. The problem is, I kept every single time I read like Magnus, you died a heroic death. I was like, oh no, that's a bad thing. You're gonna die forever. <laughs> I mean, he did die forever. This is true. Uh, well, Hotel Valhalla is kind of a dream bubble. Oh my god, you're not <laughs> wrong. Yeah, well, they call it like a a a death, but not quite a death, mm-hmm. right? I I like how the next chapter begins. Magnus just talking about how he always ended his stories in school with "then he died." The end. <laughs> Listen, it's effective. I. You know what? You're not wrong. I should try that eventually. <laughs> Any other big cert points, or do you want to move on to his dreams? Uh, let's move on to his dreams. <laughs> so, dream count, Jane. God, it, we're on dream watch, and I, I wonder if I wonder if like Rick being like, "Oh, Magnus never dreamed when he was alive," is him trying to get ahead of the like, "Oh my God, they're always having dreams about bullshit thing." No, I was wondering about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, these ones don't count. What? It doesn't matter if he gets five exposition dreams in a row. It's an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> I. It really does, like, it's really, like, the most obvious tell that Rick Riordan is, like, how do I give this information? Like, how do I make these ominous portents happen? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. it, it's his go-to move. I, I don't mind it here. Because I, I, hopefully what happens is that this is the only time he ever dreams and it's when he's dying. But I don't know <laughs> about that. Uh, I mean, he's going to apparently get killed repeatedly in the death games in the Hotel Valhalla. So maybe he dreams every time that happens. Uh-huh. Anyway, he totally runs into Loki. You think this is Loki? I I'm absolutely 100% this is Loki. Tell tell me your 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 thoughts. Uh let me let me pull up the exact description of him cuz I have a vague recollection of like what ends up happening to Loki like before Ragnarok is that he gets like put into hell and he's uh tortured basically for an eternity with like uh, a snake that keeps like biting his face and poisoning him, and I think the description. Uh, 
His face was shockingly handsome. He could have done ads for aftershave in men's magazines, but his scars were in the perfection. Burn tissue splashed across the bridge of his nose and his cheekbones like impact lines on the moon's surface. His lips were marred by a row of by a row of welts all the way around his mouth, maybe piercing holes that had been closed over. But why would anyone have that many mouth piercings? And I've just realized that that's not from like the fangs, that's from his mouth being so shut. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I love this description. I If this is Loki, I think that'd be pretty cool because we're not getting twink Loki. <laughs> we're not getting like just fucking Thomas Hiddleston or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm Hopefully like the, the one joke that Randolph got to make about the MCU is an indication that we're just like not doing that. I was also, I, I was, we, we talked about this after we stopped recording last week. We were like speculating on who Magnus's godly parent might be. Uh, and I was on Team Loki up until I read this. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we took bets. I said, who did I say, Tyr? You said Tyr, yeah. And you said Loki. I said Loki because I thought that might be why he had, like, the fire immunity. You you gave yourself a a, a, a chapter ahead to, to inform your inform your bets, and you were still wrong. <laughs> no, yeah, so hard confirmation that if this is Loki, Loki is not his dad. Yeah. Uh, but he is kind of badass. I don't know, like, he just seems so cool you know what i mean yeah definitely he he just yeah he's he seems to be just like off doing his own shit the, the way that he's like oh tell the old father hello from me just feels very like i am running around in the background doing stuff that odin will disapprove of and would like you to taunt him on my behalf please yeah he has this really he's he's trickstery but in a different way than like you know the hoo-hoo, i'm a trickster uh-huh. like it's it's more like He's grabbing Magnus's wrist and pulling him in and being like, tell the Allfather hello for me. That's fucking scary. There's yeah. like actual like, this is a scary god guy. Yeah, definitely. He's also a Sox fan, apparently. I fucking, I can never keep track of what American football or baseball or other teams these are. Red Sox is Boston, I believe. Okay. So so he's he's staying true to the home team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the Red Sox are the funniest, uh, the funniest possible, uh, you know, they're very famous. You'll hear about them anywhere, but they're, they're the funniest baseball team because their mascot is just a pair. Their logo is just a pair of socks. <laughs> uh, is it going to turn out that his favorite team is the Red Sox? Because as with everything else, red is the color of chaos, uh, and therefore Loki loves red. I think that could be true. I want to say that he is like in, embraced the like chaotic Bostonian, like like just like ideal. <laughs> he's he's seen all these bad drivers in Boston, and he's like this. I want to be like this. Yeah, he's like I am become the prototypical guy from Boston. I I want inspired <laughs> all these guys to act like this. <laughs> uh, we also see a little bit more about Magnus's mom. Okay, this is one of the things that I'm worrying about. Uh huh. Because. There, there, are, there are hints that this might be subverted, which I'm hoping for, but so far, like, the presentation of Magnus's mother is extremely rote, like, mother figure who suffers for the good of the child and then fucking dies and we never hear from them again. In a, in a way that, like, we gave Rick credit for sidestepping in fucking Lightning Thief. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he thinks he deserves one now that he's gone through all these books well, without this, doing it. Well, this would be two because this was also Leo's mom. Oh fuck, you're right. <laughs> well, I I really do wonder. I so she's very quirky, mm-hmm. right? She like we we used this word last episode, but Magnus says that like oh she used to joke that her spirit animal was Tinkerbell, which is the most like Facebook mom bullshit. <laughs> like 
Like, this is 50% of all Facebook bombs will say shit. Like, I, my spirit animal is Tinkerbell. And then the other 50% are just, like, repeating insane QAnon stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I guess I mean, it's good that she felt... Yeah, I guess of the two that you could have had. I don't know. She does seem kind of like the anime mom thing combined with, like... You know, in like a in a movie with like you get the flashbacks of of his wife, yeah, and 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 she's like rolling around on the bed and like smiling, cooking breakfast, and doing all these various flashback montage things. Mm-hmm. The sort of typical idea. It it feels like a combination of these ideas where it's just like, you know, oh, she had such a free spirit, and now she's dead. I mean, it's so tragic for me, the male protagonist. But you know, it is sad when your mom dies. Uh-huh. But also, I wonder if. You know, Rick Riordan has a track record with this kind of thing, where it mostly he's hitting on all cylinders, I think. Yeah, I, there, there is, like, a hint. I, th- I think it's somewhere in here. Of um... Okay, it's not in this one, but basically at some point Magnus says, like, oh yeah, she was always so wonderful, except for the few weeks leading up to her death. And I'm hoping that we get, like, to see a bit more of her as a complex character if we flash back to that. That would be my hope, yeah. Because that, that, that's what we were wanting last episode, sort of, like, yeah. the idea that she, like kind of is part of the reason that magnus was homeless for two years yeah right? possibly like maybe made like a bad call saying not to go to uncle randall yeah yeah so i i really do want to see that more like i i want to make magnus's memories of, i don't want to corrupt magnus's memories of her that's not i, mean. I just want to like <laughs> dive into the sort of like the the parts maybe he doesn't want to remember you know what i mean yeah yeah Re- really we reawaken some traumas uh-huh. Also, is it me or is Magnus's mom dykey as fuck? <laughs> Am I insane? I hadn't considered it because of, like, how much her time she spends in these chapters being like, oh, yes, you, your father was so wonderful and I was elated when I found out that I was pregnant with you. But now that you mention it, yeah, the description does kind of come across that way. She's Okay, the problem is that she's, like, she's either, like, super lesbian time in, in her aesthetic or else she's literally it, it's the it's the eternal fucking coin's edge where this aesthetic also belongs to like peggy hill right who the fuck is peggy hill from king of the hill i haven't watched king of the hill the guy's wife from king of the hill all i know about that show is people saying propane in the funny voice oh jesus christ jane <laughs> go go listen to go listen to uh fucking citizen hank on the moonshot discord moonshot network <laughs> I'll go into the Moonshot Discord and ask people to upload the MP3s directly. <laughs> uh, but no, so I don't know. It's just like flannel, denim, Doc Martens, uh, mm-hmm. pixie cut, short short blonde hair, eyes filled with humor. I don't know. Like this is this is classic outdoors mom thing, but also it's got lesbian vibes. If it turns out that uh, Magnus's mom is frail or something, I'll shake Rick Ryden's hand. If if Magnus's so-called dad is in fact Magnus's mom. Exactly. What if Magnus's dad transitioned? That would also be cool. And this is like a like, oh, you know, we knew each other before then, but really I, you know, I, I deep inside was a lesbian and you deep inside were trans, one of those stories. <laughs> the problem is that we've missed, we've missed kind of the boat on that because Loki is like, as far as I can remember, the most like gender fucky of the Asgardians. So that would have been the That's ideal true. place to do that. Yeah. We don't know that Loki's not going to, I don't know. I think Rick Riordan will be a coward if, I don't know, Loki is just like, I am the bearded man and does not mm-hmm. do some gender, flu- not gender, like, expressiveness, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's He's got to turn into a female horse for a while. Yeah, or like, I don't know, 
I think that there would be value in just like, yeah, Loki looks the same here, but is wearing a dress and some makeup. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. That'd be cool. I think actually the way that like, I think there's a good distinction here. The way that Natalie Chase talks about whoever Magnus is dadded is versus like how Sally talks about Poseidon. Mm. Because we get a sense that like Sally and Percy would talk about the fact that his dad was gone. Yeah. Right. That's not really something that Magnus and Natalie ever did. Yeah, with with Percy, like you get the sense that this is like a painful absence in his life, whereas Magnus doesn't seem to really give a shit. Yeah, like they go out to the cabin every year, where like, you know, that's sort of where where she met. That's where she met Percy's dad, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of that's sort of the idea of the cabin is that they go there to be closer to her, his dad, and that's sort of what's happening here. But it's a bit more of a surprise to Magnus because, like, Natalie doesn't talk about whoever Magnus's dad is in that same way. Yeah. Like, he talks about having just, like, never even considered the idea of, like, their family being incomplete or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and the way she talks about Magnus's dad with a lot less, like, sadness, I guess. Um, like, there, there's a bit of wistfulness. But... Yeah, she, this is very... It's very much a, like... Tis better to have loved and lost is her attitude, whereas Sally is like, fuck, I gotta raise a kid now that I'm single. Uh-huh, yeah. Which is entirely understandable. Yeah, definitely. It, I guess this does lean closer to the um, Leo Leo's mom vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're, like, we're in the workshop and we're talking about uh, how it's the way to be closer to him, etc. Maybe this is just what yeah. all, the, all the parents in PGO do. Yeah, it kind of seems like it, actually. <laughs> I, I'm interested in the idea. What does it mean that he is all around them when they are at Hefton Pond? Hmm. Like, is he all around them in nature? Is that why she likes to be in nature? Yeah, maybe some kind of nature-related god. Maybe I don't. I don't know a lot of those. Yeah, I, same. I, I don't have as like categorical a knowledge of Norse mythology as I do like Greek mythology or Egyptian mythology. Most of my knowledge of Norse mythology comes from like my fuzzy memory of reading uh, the Gospel of Loki a couple of years ago. What is that? That is, it's a really good like, um, it's a book which is basically telling uh, a lot of the Norse sagas from Loki's perspective and kind of like updated into, uh, you know, a much more kind of readable like novel style. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's a really good read uh, and it's mostly accurate to my knowledge uh and i also found out after i'd finished it that it actually functions as a prequel to like a ya fantasy thing that i'd read like a decade before that what is that uh rune marks uh turns out that both books were written by uh joanne harris and rune marks is about like a post-christian world where like the the norse gods are kind of um kind of receded a bit and like this this young girl who was like the only new Vanya or something who was like being manipulated by Odin into staging a comeback for them. That's really interesting. It, I don't remember a lot about that book, but I remember that it fucking ruled. It sounds cool. It sounds cool as hell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I we're gonna talk about Christianity here. I, you can't <laughs> not talk about Christianity when talking about Norse mythology, right? Yeah, yeah, no, like like so much of what we know about them from the sagas was like after they got edited by Christian missionaries. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're getting that fil- we're getting that, and then refiltered through Rick Riordan's lens, which which is an extremely culturally Christian lens. Yes, uh, I mean we also need to talk about Christianity in the sense that um, for three full series now, 
uh, Rick has been kind of dancing around like where Christianity fits into his like mythological framework. Like he see- uh-huh. he is kind of very ambivalent about it. He goes to very great lengths to avoid saying something one way or the other, except for that one time where he implied that it wasn't real in Kane Chronicles. And uh, that one time that he talked about the preacher or whatever in Hades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then fucking less than 10 chapters into the first Magnus Chase book, uh, it turns out that Jesus is real and Thor challenged him to a fist fight. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> I love this bit. Oh my god. We we have to go. Uh, let's just. Yeah. The Thor challenged Jesus to a duel and Jesus didn't show up. And that's why they don't use AD in the Hotel Valhalla. They use CE instead because Thor is still pissed at Jesus about that. And that's really fucking funny <laughs> because. Like, CE is still just literally the same thing, the but same, relabeled. It's the same thing with a different name. So this is still, they're still operating under a pretty Christ-centric lens of how time <laughs> works. Uh, but it's so fucking funny. I love that Rick Riordan just is out with it. He's not, he doesn't really have to be scared of, like, I don't know, getting his books thrown in a fire anymore. Like, he, if that if that's happened, it's already happened, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you you know you know that he is not anticipating the like massive resurgence in far right politics that is about to happen when this is published. Uh huh. Maybe he <laughs> is, and he doesn't he doesn't care. Uh, I, it's so funny. I love this. It's so like, good. I, oh god. So we should talk about how he gets into Hotel Valhalla because first of all, there's you know the cleansing fires of death and all that. Mm-hmm. His his clothes are back. He's he's clean for the first time in a long time. He, he and he he thinks he's just in like a rich Boston neighborhood. <laughs> he's just in a gated community, except there's no gate. It's just a wall. Which I kind of love the idea that like that is separate enough from his own world that he would not be able to recognize that he's basically in another plane of existence. Yeah, definitely. Like, he, he's been to a nice house, like, once in the past few years, and that was breaking into Randolph's. Uh-huh. And then he meets Hunding. I love Hunding. Yeah, maybe the greatest character we've ever met in a Rick Riordan <laughs> book. Uh, Hunding is... Where, where is he from? He's from... He's he's Saxon, is that right? Uh, I believe so. Is it Saxony? Did I do, like, a hate crime or something like that by saying Saxony? I don't know what... I don't... I, I feel don't, like I don't know Saxony's European a place. Pissed. It's just a place in Germany. Oh, okay. <laughs> God, that guy looks a bit Saxony, don't you think? <laughs> is, that, is this a real thing? No. Is this something people say? <laughs> okay. Is <laughs> when someone's got a big fucking beard and they... Oh, that, that, they're all Saxon over there. If they are hired as mercenaries to come over and help with some stuff in England and then take over, that's a bit Saxony of them. Uh, and Hunding is just the big saddest wet man (laughs) wouldn't you be sad if you'd been a hotel porter for like 1300 years I guess I would be right like he he has to stand at the door and just carry people shit around he gets beaten by a stick occasionally (laughs) by by a much younger man yeah I assume this is what all hotel porter jobs are like presumably I just we get this brief glimpse at Helgi and they have this entire, like, rivalry or something, or, like, they have this mysterious history that Hunding only alludes to, right? He implies mm-hmm. that it's there with the same level of gravitas that, like, people would imply that maybe something was happening with, like, 
uh, people being reborn in the Heroes of Olympus, like in the fucking uh, Sun of Neptune or something. <laughs> like there, there is some deep backstory to why Helgi beats Hunding with a stick. <laughs> I think they're just in a really uh, toxic, dominant, uh, submissive situation. It's, got, it's gotten mixed up with work. It's a whole fucking mess. Oh god, that's that's awful. <laughs> There's another Doctor Who reference here. It, it it is insane to me that Rick had the the fucking restraint to not have Magnus just say, "Oh my god, it's just like the TARDIS," and then explain uh, what the TARDIS was to someone from fucking 700 CE when he notices that the hotel is bigger on the inside. And that's that's actually one of the more interesting traits of Magnus is that he really is like, I have to identify how I should act around these people and act that way. You mm-hmm. know. Like, you get a sense that inside he's this big nerd, but he hasn't really expressed that to a lot of people because he hasn't had the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, he's later on, uh, after he talks to uh, Sam a bit, uh, he's basically starts talking like he's in a prison. Where he's saying, like, you know, wherever you end up, you need to figure out the pecking order, you need to figure out who you don't piss off so that you don't get hit. <laughs> because, you know, he spent two years, like, being in and out of, like, fucking drunk tanks and homeless shelters. Yeah, and I really, like, I don't know, I like that. I like that, like, um, as soon as he realizes there is physical violence or a threat of physical violence happening to him, he snaps into, like, he sort of dissociates dissociates himself from himself. Yeah, right? definitely. He's like, I need to identify the rules quickly, learn the power structure, and figure out how not to get, to get beaten. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that is a really interesting like position for him to put himself into especially because it kind of feels like that isn't necessarily how the power structure actually works here Mm -hmm. from what we see of valkyries we'll we'll get more into that probably Uh (laughs) uh-huh i just the hotel valhalla like as as we've had it laid out is just like he's finally done it he's he's created a home-based setting for one of his series that is like both distinct from camp half-blood and also not terrible yeah well, not terrible. Can you can you go into that a bit more? I mean, I'm I'm just saying that it's better than Brooklyn House and Camp Jupiter. <laughs> like, not terrible as in like quality wise for the as, like, as in reader. Yeah, exactly. As in like this is this is an interesting setting. I like it. It feels like we are once again back to having like an actually interesting like reinterpretation of how Valhalla works through like this this lens of like oh, it's also a shitty hotel. Yeah, or actually a, a pretty nice hotel. I do think it. I do think it would have been funny if it was like a travel lodge or something. Uh huh. Well, that and that would make some degree of sense since it's like, well, they're supposed to be ready to go at any moment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The interesting thing is like, how well do you feel like this place is actually preparing all these kids to go off to war? Not even remotely. I think that's really. This feels like an immediate mark of like this is a failure of the structure of the system. Right? Oh, definitely. I think in fiction you most commonly see Valhalla as like literally just a field where people are constantly at war Mm -hmm. right yeah and like at night or in the evening they all drink and be and are merry they feast but yeah they feast the the feast happens but here they're all chilling out at a hotel they're playing board games they're playing video games they're throwing spears at each other mind you but uh and there are a variety of activities all of which are apparently to the death (laughs) i i really want to know how buffet lunch to the death works uh, you eat from the dessert trolley until you get type 2 diabetes and die. I think there is a type of torture you can do to someone where you stuff them full of food until they die, so I guess maybe they just do that to themselves. Uh-huh. But ultimately, like, this place is set up, like, so, like, everyone's just chill here, this, right? This... Everyone's just hanging 
out. <laughs> this is just the fucking Lotus Hotel and Casino. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> Which is fine. But also, yeah, this is this is a terrible for like keeping people ready to like go into a combat situation. Which I to me seems like it's you know, they've been sitting around waiting for Ragnarok for like three thousand years or whatever the fuck, and everybody has just gotten sick of actually like maintaining any kind of state of readiness. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about Norse mythology is that like occasionally Ragnarok happens, but also it never really happens until everything is over, so you don't really have to wait for it, like expect it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's cyclical in that way. Like, it'll all start over afterwards. And there's also the fact that they're all grouped by age. I feel like them being grouped by age really, like, this does not make for a good army, right? If, like, all the old guys and all the slightly less old guys and all the young guys are don't, like, don't know each other, how are they supposed to have any sort of, like... Well, no, because this, is, this uh-huh. is how the British army worked, especially during the First World War, is that you have, like, one place where you have, like, all the old people who are officers, and then you have the other place, which is a bunch of terrified 15-year-old conscripts, and you don't humanize the conscripts to the officers so they can continue to just, like, march them into machine gun fire. That's true. I, I wonder if that... Because they describe, like, the seniors as, like... It's, like, a senior home, but, like everyone's killing each other constantly so uh-huh. i wonder if they're also frontline soldiers uh-huh. <laughs> it's really interesting i really the fact that everyone's just like we don't need to worry about ragnarok like it's mentioned once here mm-hmm. uh, right but as like almost a joke which definitely means it's gonna happen the the, the oh, conflict I'm sure that'll be like the, th- the conflict of uh-huh. book three is gonna be ragnarok happening i mean what else is at the level of like this is the stakes. This is the big un un uncompl- like unhappenable stakes uh-huh. that Rick Riordan would like to establish. It's probably Ragnarok. It's Ragnarok, and it's going to happen in seven days. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would if this book was all set. If like this entire three book series was all set in seven days, I wouldn't. That could be interesting, actually. It would be, but also I you know this 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 book has been racking up a lot of W's so far. Please, if we can just like do away with the the countdown timer just once. That's that's fair. That's fair. Um, Valkyries. Valkyries. They they have a bunch of warrior women just like walking around, like serving food. I guess. What's happening here? <laughs> like, it seems like we we talked earlier about how Magnus like thinks of Sam as someone who is like more powerful than him in a higher position of like, you know, authority than him, and so yeah, therefore definitely. he has to like listen to what she says. Does that, like, read as true from the way that we see the Valkyries interacting with everyone outside of that? Uh, I don't think it's true in, like, the the de jure, like, structural power sense. I think it is true in the de facto way if she crushed his fucking windpipe. I mean, yes, I just mean to say, like, there seems to be something going on here with, like, Magnus specifically notes that it's all these women uh-huh. who are, like, going around serving all these guys. Like, not just guys, it's, like, it's, it's a variety of genders mm-hmm. happening here. But, like, the servers specifically are all women. Yeah. And I think that is significant, that, like, they are employees in that way. They are sort of an underclass as opposed to the Inheriar. Yeah, definitely. Which, I don't know, they're all, like, strong warrior women. They could probably form a union. They, they should form a union. Who's maybe they stop are unionized, them? I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe this, this work pays fucking great, who knows? Who knows? I choose to believe this. Uh, I like how quickly we get introduced to the di- idea that everyone is just killing each other uh, <laughs> by, by Magnus, like, being, okay, well, I'm dead. At least I don't have to deal with stuff like what just happened on the bridge anymore, and then immediately having a fucking spear thrown at him. And it, just, it misses him. It just fucking impales a guy on a couch, 
and everyone around the guy is like pissed off not because the guy died but because it like messed up the game of monopoly they were playing they're like kind of pissed off at the person who threw it kind of pissed off like oh come on just dodge right (laughs) try not to fall on the board man come on (laughs) meanwhile there is like a spear through his neck impaling him to the wall (laughs) he's gurgling blood and the wolves carry him off yeah but magnus's wolf phobia is coming up again his wolf phobia and his dead body phobia. Which I feel I like most people have a dead body phobia to one degree or another. I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, this entire place is decked out. It's all wolf imagery. And that's that really has Magnus on edge. But, and we saw, when we did our cover corner, we saw a variety of wolves. Mm-hmm. Some of which seemed more sympathetic, some of which seemed less Sometimes the wolf is standing in front of him and, like, seems to be trying to protect him. Sometimes he's trying to hit the wolf with a sword. How will this shake out? Who knows? Who's to say? I have a question. Uh-huh. Midgard. Mm-hmm. Midgard is where all the mortals live, right? Uh-huh. It's also where all the Greek and Egyptian gods live, <laughs> isn't it? Well, hmm, hmm. We know that the Egyptian gods, like... Like, at the end of Kane Chronicles, they, like, fucked off to a different plane of existence. So I think they've got a little bit of latitude there. But yeah, for the, for the Greek gods, they just, like, live on a fucking invisible floating mountain above Manhattan. I'm really interested in this idea that, like... Okay, so there are these nine worlds. There's this whole cosmology to it, right? Mm. 540 doors, the 540 floors, five nine nine worlds, etc., etc. Uh, I... I'm really curious about just, like, what does it mean that all these worlds exist? And if we're going to get any information on how that relates to, like, in the Demigods and Magicians crossover, we sort of end up tying together the Duat and the Mist, right? And specifically the idea that the Mist is just, like, part of the Duat. Yeah. Are we going to get anything like that with, like, the cosmology of this? I think it, it, it would be incredibly funny and very ballsy of Rick to continually be like you know my most popular book series is the one about the greek gods yeah i mean their entire cosmology is built on a fucking house of cards established by the cosmologies in my less popular other trilogies i think that's awesome you know honestly (laughs) i I think that's cool yeah i if we just straight up say like yeah they all live on the lame loser plane like yeah they don't get to be on the godly fucking valheim or whatever Mm -hmm. that i think that would be so funny i it it makes like how much uh, all of like zeus's uh like grandstanding about what a great god king he is even funnier yes uh we've talked about it a little already but like i just really enjoy the beat of um like magnus gets five seconds where he is not like constantly freaking out or under some kind of threat His, his reaction to that is to just have a fucking panic attack that's really good like shit dude i have not been homeless for two years so i've not had an exactly analogous experience but uh yeah yeah sometimes it's like that it really is how it can be he also we learned that he has asthma representation one yeah yeah apparently like it it it, is it like it acts up like especially when he's like anxious or when he's been inside for a while yeah like that which you know that really makes sense with i don't know i i had asthma when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and I feel like there was a lot of, like, there was an intersection there uh, with, like, 
how my brain was working if i was in a stuffy place if i was outside in the great outdoors you know yeah uh if i if i was in my school if i was in my elementary school where uh uh after i got out of there we learned that there the walls were all full of asbestos mm. <laughs> hmm curious uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's really interesting how those things uh work sometimes but i crazy yeah, coincidence that uh-huh it's that I don't know. This is the first like singular moment Magnus has. It's not really true. He's been alone for a long time, right? Yeah, but he's always been like looking over his shoulder. He's never just like been able to like lock a door in a room where he's reasonably sure someone's not just going to immediately burst in and like have a second. No, and I think that's a big thing, right? Like when you are unhoused, you don't have locked doors. Yeah. Like that like you don't get the benefit of privacy. That, that's such a big that's such a huge thing as of just like the utter alien like dehumanization that homeless people go through yeah and magnus like having a locked door having a place that he can just like sit for as long as he wants like he doesn't have to go out like make sure you make sure you leave during the day come back at this time like don't you, he doesn't have to worry about any of that there's not any gonna, it's kind of heartbreaking because he just like can mourn his mom properly for the first time yeah it's it's fucked i'm like i also uh-huh. i'm pleasantly surprised by how like i don't know like sympathetically uh rick is like portraying this like the the, the issues that you have when you're homeless yeah like you know we, we were talking about it a bit last week but this is such a fucking improvement over the way that he has treated uh homeless people in like the, the previous series no absolutely yeah I like that Magnus. I I like that Magnus has like a bunch of little asides where he's like, and if you're ever homeless, like here's some tips, right? Yeah, it's just like like he's like, yeah, uh, if you go to a library and you're like reading a book and don't make a scene, you're probably fine. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's a good way, to, and because like, on one hand, that's a good way to like express his character and sort of tell like like what what does Magnus do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what has his life been like? But also. It's not impossible that somebody reading this book could be homeless. Uh, like, yeah. Or could become homeless at, at some point. Like, that's, I think that's just like a really important thing to remember. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I also think that ties into like what we were talking about earlier with his narrative voice, right? I think that the fact that like he does have this sort of conversational style when he is ostensibly just like telling, when it seems like he is mostly just thinking things to himself, probably mm-hmm. comes from like he's been bored as fuck for two years. He's been bored as fuck. He's also not used to, like, having privacy and being on his own. So, like, his thoughts are kind of phrased as conversations that he's having with other people because he's just not used to, like, being able to sit on his own with them. Yeah, like, he either is... He's either having to talk to other people and, like, you know, figure out the dynamics of that or else he is, like, talking to himself to keep himself occupied, I have to assume. Yeah, exactly. Whenever he's between seasons of Doctor Who. (laughs) Uh, what do you think, Magnus? What? Who is Magnus's favorite Doctor? Oh, he is one hundred percent. He's all in on the eleventh Doctor. I think. You think so? I we've been talking about how like he seems like he is so like a t- a Tumblr user of this era, and like twenty fifteen Tumblr. Yeah, eleventh eleventh Doctor ruled the fucking roost. That's true. I was gonna say like, I don't know. You don't think because of his abrasive attitude, he's more of an Eccle Stoner? <laughs> Uh, I, hmm, <laughs> I guess, I guess the other thing is, like, 
the eleventh Doctor was when like that show got really big in America. How many opportunities would he have to like watch like the ninth Doctor's run, especially when that was so often like skipped over? I guess so. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I, I was I think it was like twenty ten when I first watched Doctor Who myself. All um, right. And I, I think I did that because I just like heard about it on TV or something, or read about it in a book, and so I like Googled it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's this night, like, there's this, there's this first series. Okay, I'll watch it. And then I watched, like, the first episode of uh, The Ninth Doctor. And I, I feel like that could be an experience that he could have had, right? But also, like, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. Th- this is 2015. This is, like, Doctor Who has been more culturally established in the United States by now. Yeah. I, I, I hope, I hope that uh, Magnus is not, like, bitching about Peter Capaldi at this point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not. Maybe. He probably has he probably has more important things on his mind to be honest. No, probably yeah. Uh, for instance, how how to get people to pronounce his name? <laughs> Magnus rhymes with swagness. <laughs> so fucking silly, because he I think he's this such is one a of those, fucking like, jackass. Yeah, this is one of those things that I think is like important to tell kids like like one of those like classic like Rick Riordan pronunciation bits because like. Mm-hmm. Children will swap two letters in their head and then, like, read it that way for the rest of their life. Um, yeah. So, so he explicitly is like, it's not Mangus rhymes with Angus. It's Magnus rhymes with Swagnus. <laughs> uh, which, I I don't know. He, You're right. He's such a jackass. I can't, I can't tell if this is, like, Rick trying to write him as a jackass or Rick just trying to use young people lingo and unintentionally making Magnus come off as more of a jackass. But I, in a way that still really works. I think Rick Riordan is like hip enough to know that nobody says swagness like that and is like sincere. <laughs> mm. No, mm. no, um, this, yeah, I, I, that at twenty fifteen. Well, hmm. no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I mean, actually. He's so hip that he's going to see Hamilton. Christ, President hey, Obama. Hey, um, should we talk about it? What should we? What, what are we talking about? Magnus's hallmates. Yep, suppose we have to. So, you know, we get we get some some various names here. We get Halfborn Gunderson. We don't meet him, but you know, he's some rowdy Viking guy. It looks like uh-huh. uh, Mallory Keane, who is kind of just seems like an Irish stereotype a little bit. One one day there will be an Irish character in fiction who is not a bit of a firebrand, but it it, will, it is not this day. Uh, there's X, who I like X actually. He's just this big guy who's like. I don't know. Samira is very defensive of him. He's like, she's like a, he just because he's half troll doesn't mean he can't be a hero, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also kind of the funny fat guy. He's the funny fat guy. He's the he's the funny. We'll leave a severed pig head outside your door, guy. Also, which I feel like you need to watch where you're doing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And then there's our final one, Thomas Jefferson Jr. Fucking hell. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, I'm trying. I I. Does the timeline of this line up that this could actually be Thomas Jefferson's kid? Because he says he died during the Civil War. Magnus interprets and, him as a Civil War kid. And li- listen, Thomas Jefferson had a lot of bastard kids. He did. Thomas Jefferson, 1743 to 1826. Civil War, when was that? When was that? Let's see. Uh, 1860 to 65, I believe. So that'd be about 40 years later. So, provided that Thomas Jefferson, like, conceived in the last year of his life, and we're taking Magnus saying Civil War is kind of more of a a general period thing than, like, the actual time. 
It could it could work. It could work. It could also be like his grandkid, maybe. That's true. I I just think that it's too big of a coincidence that he saw Hamilton and then I mean, the book was probably already written. He he wrote that because he was excited to go and see Hamilton. Oh my god. <laughs> I just I don't I don't have any big commentary on this yet, I guess, but just note that there is a character named Thomas Jefferson Jr. I'm glad that in every one of these fucking series we have to uh dip our toe into the Civil War in some way. I wonder if it's gonna turn out that uh Thomas Jefferson Jr. is also a Confederate. I god, I hope not. Probably Magnus would notice that. <laughs> Do you think do you think he was maybe on the crew of Clarice's boat in Sea of Monsters? <laughs> oh, like his shambling corpse while he's in Valhalla. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, maybe. <laughs> I uh there's some weird bits here. Magnus and this isn't weird, but Magnus's favorite colors are black and beige, which I I don't think is normal. Do you think he likes eating black and beige food? <laughs> Oh, uh, maybe, maybe. He's, e- he's eating squid ink spaghetti, and I don't know what foods are beige. Uh, Normal spaghetti? I'm uncooked chicken. <laughs> That's pink. No, I guess you're right, yeah. <laughs> Hunting, very sad guy. He doesn't have any photos. That's actually a really, like, kind of emotional moment out of nowhere. Yeah, that's fucked up. Uh, like, I just genuinely, this guy who, like, has to keep seeing people having more and more, like... Like, presumably at some point he saw someone with, like, a grand painting of their family and he was like, fuck, that's... And now he's seeing Magnus with this, like, uh, this, like, crystal clear photo of his mother and he's like, damn, wish I had any remnants of my childhood. Uh-huh. Uh, God, yeah, poor guy. I want to talk about his bookshelf. This is, I feel like, kind of a Jacqueline-coded bookshelf. Uh, uh-huh. Mainly just because there's Stephen King on there. Okay, so this is literally... I do think this is kind of a bookshelf that I would have had as a kid. Um, <laughs> it's also the... Like, Rick Riordan hasn't done, like, a very, very direct, like, reference to, like, real-world, like, works like this in a while. Yeah, Especially, no, it's like, been a minute. Contemporary stuff like this. Um, here's Magnus's bookshelf. Stephen King. Darren Shan. That one really... I've, <laughs> who the, I, I have never heard anyone other than myself talk about Darren Shan, and it's been years. Uh, Neil Shusterman, Michael Grant, Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's kid, Scott Pilgrim, Watchmen, Sandman, and Saga. <laughs> this is a million kids, but it's so, like, funny. I don't know. Like, Wait. What? Okay, I, I looked up Michael Grant because I, I recognized the name. Um, and I, I, I have read a series this guy has written. I didn't know that this was the Animorphs guy. Co-wrote with, uh, Kay Applegate, right? Right, okay. Yeah, I've read Animorphs too. I didn't... I, I never read Animorphs. I read, uh, Gone. Oh, okay. Which was his series about, like, this, uh, little town that basically gets, like, cut off from the outside world and turns into, like, Lord of the Flies, except the kids are all getting, like, radioactive superpowers. It was fucked. It was really good. Gotcha. That sounds cool. Yeah, no, I... I read Animorphs. I, I know that there's a period in Animorphs where Kay Applegate is not writing those books. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, not to the same extent, at least. And I don't... I, I never really hear Michael Grant's name attached to it. So, I, I you know, I mostly I just hear Applegate. But also, I don't know. He's such a sci-fi fantasy horror nerd. It's so funny. Like, I don't know. This is, like, really... And then the graphic novel specifically... Um, really for me tear between like yeah of course he has these these are very popular like like you know a kid who is like i want to get the good graphic novels would get these right 
Yeah, of course he has fucking Sandman. Fucking Neil, Neil Gaiman fever. Yes. Also, on the other hand, this is very Rick Riordan Googled top 10 graphic novels core. <laughs> God, it is a little bit. So it's hard to know where the line falls between, like, maybe his kids had these books versus, like, maybe, uh, like, BuzzFeed had these books. Fucked up that he dedicated the book to Cassandra Clare and then didn't give her a shout out for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God. I want to know Magnus's opinion. on. I I, I think he would be a, a demonata guy, not just a... I think he'd be into Cirque du Freak, but he, he would be more of a... He would be a demonata guy, too, because there's some real fucked up shit in there that he, I think he would like. These are just words to me. I don't know what the fuck you're on about. <laughs> That's so fair. And then we meet Samira. Samira is... Th- this is the female character that Rick Riding keeps writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's very Annabeth. This is very, like, Annabeth and Percy at the start of Lightning Thief. It where she's definitely... like kind of, kind of a hard ass and very dismissive of him. Yeah, I, I'm kind of. It's kind of ambiguous how old she is. Also, I. Mm-hmm. She says King Academy. I feel like Academy is usually more of like a high school thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing she's a high school sophomore. But I, I tried to look up King Academy, which is where she says she goes to, and the only place I can find is a place in South Carolina. I don't think that's the same one. <laughs> I, I can't find a single king academy anywhere in boston but i, I guess suspect, she got... i suspect that like rick is not allowed to put the names of real schools in these books given like if he put a real name down instead of like yancey and lightning thief he'd probably have gotten sued i guess that's probably true <laughs> yeah i guess with his proclivity for talking about how much school sucks <laughs> uh magnus also describes her in the most like what the fuck are you talking about way possible uh-huh where he says that she's dressed for a mortal combat wedding which is an interesting perspective. What is a Mortal Kombat wedding? I guess it means you're wearing very ostentatious stuff and also uh, a big sword. I guess so. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. What What do you think of Sam, apart from just sort of her Annabethness? The The Annabethness is like very strong, but I like I like that she is like a character with an explicit double life. Like she she tells Magnus that like yeah uh, I, my parents think I'm like tutor and calculus right now because I like have to try and juggle being a Valkyrie with like being in high school, which I think is that's kind of something that we don't see a lot in these books for all the like urban fantasiness. So it's like it's a bit unique, and it also means that like hopefully we will be keeping one foot in the real world like as we go through these books, and we're yeah. not going to experience that kind of drift that we've had with the other ones. Yeah, I think so. I, I like that a lot, actually, because it makes it feel... It, it feels like we're gonna... If we're gonna go anywhere, we're gonna go back to Boston. I don't Like, if this feels... Mm-hmm. Even though we've left the world, it feels like that is where this is set still. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I, I really like that. Um, yeah, I think she's an interesting character. She obviously has a lot of her own issues. She, she's projecting super strong onto Magnus. <laughs> like, just like... Re, like, she fucking choke slams him uh and is like you are you whining about your mom huh a lot of us have dead moms asshole <laughs> which i i feel like magnus had a completely reasonable response to finding out that the afterlife was real and that maybe his mom is still alive also check one for that being exactly how this went for percy uh-huh <laughs> which also we learned that she isn't but you know there's more worlds than these uh-huh it's it's gonna fucking turn out that uh, hell actually has a hell hostage somewhere. <laughs> Probably. God. Well, then we, you know what? Like we said, back to basics. 
This is by a lot of this does kind of feel like a remix of Lightning Thief so far, but I really like Lightning Thief, so I don't mind. No, yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess the final thing we should talk about is the feast hall. The the least hygienic feast hall in history. Yeah. They just got they just got a goat in a tree just fucking spraying milk on people. <laughs> this is what you want, though, right? This is like yes. <laughs> this is what you want the feast hall of Valhalla to be like. You I, you want Rick to be just like pulling insane details from mythologies and then just cramming them in and pr- acting like it's normal. It's so good. I love I love the like all the animals like going around the tree. I love the fucking goat spray. Uh, that all the kids who have to like go under it with buckets and like tr- <laughs> they're just soaked with milk. Uh it's so good. Uh, and I think what I really like about this place is just like how much it leans into the idea of like mythological ecology. Oh. Uh-huh. Like I don't know, just the idea of like this is the stag that is here. Like there, there's a stag here and water comes off of its horns and all the water that comes off of its horns is where the rivers of the world come from. Which I'm, I'm sure that like Carter and Sadie sailing around in the little boat in the duot would have something to say about that. And that but I, I like that like, okay, the thing with, this presents a slightly different idea of how the myth and the natural world sort of interact here, right? Mm-hmm. With it comes to the Greek stuff, generally how it works is that there is a god or entity who has a domain over something, right? Yeah. They've carved out a piece of the world to rule over. Um, sometimes there are exceptions, but by and large, that is the case. Yeah. With the Egyptian mythology stuff, with the King of Chronicles, uh, largely it is that they are sort of made up of what they like control. Right? They are like personifications of those things. They are personifications. Here, the world seems to flow from myth instead. Yeah, and that is really cool to me. I don't like it's it's this very subtle difference that I think really makes it feel like this is what this is what's different, right? Like yeah, it's this. It's really like it delivers on promise of like the mortal world and the mythological world like flowing into one another sort of blending together i i think this really works to like set that tone yeah definitely i don't this is this is a just a little extra footnote to add i guess that uh just like speaking of differences to uh pjo um magnus is a demigod but uh sam tells him that um basically you don't have to be a demigod to get in here you just need to have done some kind of like virtuous deed which yes. means we did it. We made it into a series where the main characters are not just distinguished by having magic blood. Yeah, and well, actually, it seems like that's going to be a point of contention because Sam yeah. sa- Sam says like, well, that's not supposed to be how it works, and then implies that like maybe something is happening with like heredity or like li- I don't know the way that people are being chosen nowadays. It- this implies that there's going to be like some Valkyrie politics going on or something. I I would like that very much. I think that's I I hope for that. Quite a, I, I think this book I'm excited for this book Shane same I we're 12 chapters in and I'm really really liking it yeah I I like I was kind of dreading it feeling kind of a bit like King Chronicles again where it kind of feels almost like an obligation to be like okay what other mythologies can I dig through to get a YA series out of but this this is a fucking banger so far Rick Riordan you can write sometimes <laughs> Rick Riordan does not miss I am handed a scroll which unfurls comically <laughs> well 
Jane, I'm turning to you now and putting a note in your hand. What does it say? Uh, it says, do the not cis segment. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so this character is not cis hat. Who are you picking this week? Uh, I will pick, uh, what the fuck is his name again? Hunting? hunting. Yeah. Yeah, hun- hunting, hunting is in his, his un- unhealthy relationship with his boss, uh, wishing him the best, hope that he moves on and finds someone better for him. Lots of lots of lots of gay lots of gay men happening in the series so far. Uh huh. You know, it's good. Uh, I'm gonna choose. I guess I could just go with. I I could just go with. Uh, I I I guess I spoiled it a bit early. I guess I'll just go with Natalie Chase. Yeah, I assumed you would let me go first because you just had that in the bag. Bisexual queen Natalie Chase. <laughs> Quirky bisexual Facebook mom. <laughs> God, it's so true. You know that when Magnus is at school. And now that she's, you know, happily divorced or whatever, she, she, you know, has her little stress at home. Facebook mead mom. <laughs> oh, I would love to mead some Facebook moms. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. That's in the show. Uh. <laughs> mead, hot, horny, Norse bisexual women in your area. <laughs> Actually, wait, if an advertisement is specifically specifying Norse women, I probably shouldn't go there. Probably not. Is there going to be a single episode where we don't range into, oh no, this just sounds a little bit like white, white supremacy? Uh, no. Okay, probably not. That's it. Like, listen, it's like with the Greek stuff. They've fucking co-opted that and we're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Well, our intro and outro, Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony, you can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find that at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We just had, you should go to our YouTube channel, Moonshot Podcast Network, I think. it's it's called, You'll Google, you can YouTube search it, it's fine, it's there. And watch our YouTube Direct with a bunch of previews for awesome new shows. I'm really excited for Argent, uh, the final show that we selected in our 2023 pitch class, uh, which was... It, it's been cooking and they fucking cooked uh they the i was i saw the special guest doug jones and i jumped out of my seat <laughs> uh and a lot of other amazing new things coming up uh also if you want to support us you can uh go follow us for instance on twitter co-host and tumblr unwise girls where we've got links to our social medias we've got updates when episodes come out visual companions uh as well as various other things also you can go leave a five-star rating interview on your podcast app of choice you can tell a friend about us or you can go to patreon.com slash unwise girls where for a dollar a month you get the discord roll of certified chaser (laughs) <laughs> for three dollars a month you get the discord roll of mid guardian as well as all of our bonus content uh we are about to run a poll on uh what we're going to be doing on the bonus show for the next little while we've not finalized everything that we're going to put on there yet but uh just to give an idea of like what you might be able to vote in if you like join the patreon uh some of the options we're considering are doing a season of Carmen rider or some other kind of sentai thing uh maybe picking a season of doctor who and going through that uh, watching Mobile Suit Gundam, I Am Blooded Orphans. You should all vote for that one, because I like that show. Um, <laughs> covering We Know the Devil and or Heaven Will Be Mine. Uh, or just fucking starting Homestuck 2. If, if you are a patron, and possibly also if you're interested, if you're like, if if you do this one, I'm interested in joining the Patreon, well, you can vote on that. 
Yeah. We'll put that up in the Discord server. Yeah. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Thor's Hammered, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week, we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tanner, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Journey to distant realms. Explore the furthest reaches of the universe. Survive deadly dangers. Experience matters of the heart and more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table.